0: Hello and welcome. This is Diane Lake, your host, and I'm going to be sharing how you can understand and apply the prophetic through practical terms, practical ways, and practical means that make it relevant to everyday life so that you can prepare the way for the Lord's purposes to manifest in the earth. This is Preparing the Way, That Practical Prophetic. Hello guys. Welcome to Salt and Light. Why Old Testament Moral Law is Relevant to Christians and Society Today, Episode 16. Now today's topic is a little meatier than some. We're going to be carnivores today. We can't always be Christians that are drinking milk and studying all the easy stuff and the feel-good stuff, right? We want to be relevant. So remember how I told you that the Lord wasn't speaking as much to me? It was kind of like he slowed me down. Well, I think the Lord slowed me down for a reason. Oh, you think I'm going to tell you that reason? Yeah, I will. I'll tell you. I think he was teaching me some things. I think I was in a season that might have been a little quieter in some ways, but that doesn't mean I wasn't learning, that I wasn't studying the word, that I wasn't studying things from the degree I'm taking. And also the Lord, sometimes he teaches me how to be a word, not just to hear a word, but to be the word. So now I'm going to attempt to pass some things along to you that I've been learning in this season. So it wouldn't surprise me if there's a series of podcasts, articles, all that, that come out of this season. Jeremiah 333 3 is very important to me about calling unto the Lord, and he will answer and show you things that have been previously unknown. I think that's kind of the season I'm coming out of. Some seasons, you just learn and learn and learn, and then you come out and then you teach, okay? So I hope that this can be relevant today. In fact, that is my prayer. Relevant, interesting, meaty, yes but something that you can carry with you and use, all right? Because otherwise, there's no point. All right, let's start our discussion with some of the ways that people and Christians and theologians think about the Old Testament and moral law, because there are various opinions. Some Christians feel the Old Testament, and therefore the moral law, is confined to the Jews of the Old Testament time period. So therefore, it's not applicable to Christians today. It's been set aside through Christ, and it's no longer binding. Some feel the Old Testament and the moral law is confirmed in the Old Testament, but only in the aspect of love, as when Paul said when he was reiterating what Jesus had spoken. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. That's found in Galatians 5.14. The problem is it can get a little bit murky there when you're talking about love and how to balance that out, but we'll come back to that. So another couple of views. Luther, that famous reformer, He felt the Old Testament law was to be set aside, wasn't valid anymore. Calvin, however, took the view that the law is still authoritative, but not condemning. All right, that sounds a little bit better to me. But the area between the two thinks what? We've got this, some say it's not even valid, some says, well, all that matters is just love your neighbor. And of course, that's scriptural, but... Love gets murky. I want to talk about that a little bit. We're talking to the people in the middle who want to know what is that standard and where do you fit in, okay? It's important that I get this right, as I said. The problem with love, as I said, it's murky. Some would say that loving your neighbor is being accepting as to whatever it is that your neighbor is doing. You just have to love him. He can do whatever he wants. We don't have to have moral standards, right? And to that, I would say that love is the means by which we are to fulfill the law. It should be what motivates us, all right? God does look at the heart. So in other words, it's not so much about what the person did, but what motivated them. That's true. It's the way to hit the mark, but it's not the mark itself. Because otherwise, we don't have a mark. We don't know what to hit. And that's where the law and the standards come in. So it's all about balance, in other words. James, in chapter 2, was discussing faith and work. And the way that he saw balance was that you were not to esteem one person over against another. You weren't to treat rich people better than you were to treat poor. Okay, It was an outworking. Remember, he said, Someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. In other words, faith and works have a balance. And when you have both, you have an outworking. You have evidence. You're not partial anymore if you were before, okay? So I think that that's about what we're going to say with the law versus love. It's not not either or. It's like when you have both, you're going to have a balance. You're going to have an outworking. You're going to be able to live a moral life, and you're going to have a standard that you can uphold and model for others as well. So it's important, I think, to take a look at what Jesus said about this subject. I mean, it should be very important. He's the one that, that is speaking to us from scripture, but he's the word himself. So Matthew five seventeen to 20 is a very important passage. And Jesus said this, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Isn't that interesting? Because I don't think heaven and earth have passed away yet. So apparently, The law hasn't passed away yet. So to continue, verse 19 says, Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men to do so shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. All right, so I think we can take a principle away from there. Number one, don't disregard or teach others to disregard the law, okay? Let's look at another scripture that Jesus had set in Matthew 23:23. He's talking to the religious leaders. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. It's like, wow, now he just told us that some things are weightier than others. Things like justice and mercy and faith, which really reminds me of Micah 6, 8, which is a verse we've talked about in previous episodes. And Basically, that verse says, you want to know how to please God? Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Wow, that's pretty cool. So I think we can take another principle away. Principle number two, some things in the unified law, because it is one law, but we're going to break it down into categories here in a minute, some things in the unified law take priority and precedence over other parts. All right. And finally, let's look at Romans 3.31, which says, do we then make void the law through faith? This is a discussion Paul is having about being justified by faith, and he says, certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. We do not make it void through faith. We make the law valid and establish it through faith. All right, so the third principle is faith establishes, not nullifies the law. First, we are not to disregard or teach others to do so. Second, some things in the law are weightier than others. Third, faith establishes the law. Alright, so remember we talked about balance. And I think that's kind of what I'm trying to take, have you take away here, is that it's all about working out some standards that we believe are still in practice, but doing it in love. So, here we go. A little bit more teaching on, of the categories of the law. Now, keep in mind that these are categories of convenience. You won't find them in scripture, but I'm sure you can see the support and why we make these categories But again, some are weightier weightier than others, so we'll talk about that. So there's the moral law, the ceremonial law, and the civil law. First of all, the moral law. This is found in the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, and in the holiness law in Leviticus chapters 18 to 20. The simplest form of the moral law is seen in the law of holiness in Leviticus, where over and over again it says in those three chapters, Be holy. As the Lord your God is holy. Wow, so basically, what that tells us is that the moral law is found in the character of God. Be holy like I'm holy. You want to know how to be holy? He says, keep the Ten Commandments, do this. Isn't that interesting? It really simplifies it for us. The moral law is weightier or more important than any other kind of these laws, the ceremonial or the civil, because it is based on the character of God. So therefore, the character of God becomes the norm, the standard, for all the decisions that we make regarding right and wrong, true and false, and what's bad or what's good. So therefore, these Ten Commandments and these holiness chapters, they help us understand the character of God and be holy as He is. Alright? So I think that the moral law is relevant to the contemporary church and the society because God is still holy. And that holiness is reflected in Christ as well. And so we are to carry out that law. At least the relevant parts we'll talk about what isn't here in a minute. And we are motivated by love, remember, not obligation. All right, the ceremonial law. We're going to be brief about that. That's found mainly in Exodus 25 through Leviticus. And it has a built-in feature of obsolescence. In other words, there's a built-in time factor where it's just going to become obsolete. It's going to self-destruct. There's even a warning in Exodus 25:40 to remember that this is a type until the real comes and the real was Christ. And when he came and made the perfect sacrifice for sin, then you didn't have to do this anymore. And that's because this whole ceremonial law was built upon the principle that the Lord knew full well that no one could keep it. It was built to, uh, to be a solution for when you fail. Okay, because the relationship of the ceremonial law to the contemporary church and society today is that it doesn't apply because, no, we can't keep the law that Christ died once for all. So when we accept that, we no longer have to worry about failing. We just ask forgiveness and we find it in him and we move on. So that part is no longer relevant to us today. Now, the civil law. Let's talk about that. The civil law is only illustrative. And let me tell you why. It illustrates the principles of the moral law and the covenant code that we found in Exodus already. And the reason that it's illustrative is that it shows us what the principles look like in everyday life. Now, you're going to find this civil law mainly in Exodus 21 to 23, and in Deuteronomy 5 to 26. So, again, it tells you what it looks like. Okay, so there's these moral codes and principles, but what do they look like when you're... um, when you're out doing everyday life. So Exodus 23 has a few of these kind of examples that almost make us chuckle because, you know, we don't have donkeys anymore, but here's what this guy is saying here. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you should bring it back. Right? If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under its burden, you know, he fell down and his burden's too heavy. You should go help him. Well, doesn't that sound a lot like love your neighbor as yourself, love your enemies. Of course it does. So what I'm trying to tell you is that the Old Testament does something similar to the New Testament in that Paul, he could teach and preach doctrine, right, all day long, but he'd always come down at the end to this section where he would put it into the practical. And one of the ways he does this that I like to refer to is that he he urged these two ladies at one point in Philippians 4, 2, I think it is, Iodia and Syntyche, let's call them, I don't know if I said that right. He tells them to be of one mind, right? And we're like, oh, well, that doesn't really apply. This is just like a couple ladies that he knew that maybe weren't getting along. But what I want you to understand is that lurking behind every specific situation, every particular circumstance that you see referred to in scripture, there's a universal or abstract principle behind it. A moral cult is what we're talking today about. The universal, universal principle lurking behind it in case of these two ladies is that they are to be tender-hearted, forgiving, and kind to one another. That was doctrine type of things that Paul taught in Ephesians 4. So we need to do the same with the Old Testament, especially when they're doing it. And they're telling you, oh, well, here's the moral code, here's the Ten Commandments. But on the other hand, go get the donkey out of the ditch when you see it, okay? Even if it's your enemy. Do you see what I'm saying? So that's why the civil law is illustrative of the moral law. But even though the civil law isn't really relevant in the manner that you followed in the Old Testament, it still is. Because contemporary Christians, Christians today, should understand that the moral law is to be practiced out in everyday life. So therefore, it's still illustrated. There's a type of civil law that we should incorporate and practice in our life. I hope that made sense, okay, because it is a deep topic. It is meaty and weighty, but I believe very important to us. All right, so let's get practical. There's so much going on in our world today, you know. Um, I get the feeling sometimes that a lot of us wonder if we should just give up. I mean, things have come so far as far as uh, some of the moral standards and the things, issues. that. I mean, I remember doing videos in 2012 about homosexual some homosexuality and political correctness from a biblical viewpoint. And, you know, I was something I was very convicted to do. I felt a little uncomfortable about it, but you just fast forward a few years to 2015 and, and, you know, it was legalized. The homosexual marriage was legalized. So, and then you go a few more years and, and now it's all about transgenders and their rights and bathrooms and not having genders for bathrooms and, you know, it's just like if we can understand that uh, it's so important not to give up. Now, here's something that that the Lord has highlighted for me and that I, I've written letters to the editor about this and certain kinds of, you know, things that I do uh, have have been to uh, pr- try to get people to understand that what we see as freedom can often be quite the opposite, all right? So let's zero in on the men's-women's bathroom for a minute, and then I'll try to explain what I'm talking about. So honestly, women in particular, you know, there's an issue of safety. If you've got men and women in the same bathrooms using facilities next to each other, I mean, we know that some men are not walking around, you know, practicing all the godly principles that we would hope they would, okay? So there's a safety issue um, but other than that, there's this this element of having it be degrading. There's a lack of modesty. Uh, those are things that God set in place, these genders and types of principles so that, uh, I mean, think about it. I'm skipping around a little bit here, but think about it. If you went to prison or in your concent- you're in a concentration camp, what's the first thing they do? You know, they strip you of your clothes and now all of a sudden you're taking showers in a group and, you know, why do they do that? Because that lack of modesty, that that making you not have any boundaries and, and any you know sense of of uh, what would you say, even decency, it's it's a it's a stripping away of your freedoms. But what it's presented at in societies today is that oh now we're free. We're free to use whatever bathroom we want. Now mind you, I'm not uh, unaware that transgenders have issues uh, you know whoever is struggling to figure out what kind of bathroom to use I'm not saying that we don't you know have any compassion for that um, but you got to remember we're talking about a very 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 small portion percentage point of the population and it's important to remember that this freedom issue is actually slavery because remember Romans 6:16 says do you not know to whom you present yourself slaves to obey that you are that one, slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? In other words, you're a slave to something, but it's always going to be presented that you're free. So it gets flipped around. And I think that is something that if you don't understand that in your very own mind, you won't be able to have any kind of way to answer, you know, what society is saying and why you can stay strong about what you believe in. And I do hope some of this is making sense. Now, you're going to have to ask the Lord where it comes in as far as what you should be standing firm for. And I am aware, I understand that, you know, we don't want to get banned from social media, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The persecution is increasing, no doubt. And we have to navigate these waters carefully And whatever we do, we need to be speaking out of love. We need to be acting out of love. We need to have compassion, all of those things. But I think it's very important to remember that as prophetic people, whether or not you are actually a prophet, as a prophetic person, I assume if you're listening to this, you are a prophetic person. You are a watchman. And the watchman in Ezekiel 33 is told that if you don't, have the ability to speak out what you hear, if you can't stand up for what you hear, if you can't warn people about what's truth and what's false, the blood is on your hands. It's on our hands, people. If we say nothing, if we say, oh, we can't, we can't do this anymore. It's too hard. It's gone too far. Right? Do you see what I'm saying? This, this makes me almost emotional because it's easy to quit. And I, you know, I get it. I get it. And why should this matter? Now, remember the show title, Preparing the Way, the Practical Prophetic. You know, we want to be people who are preparing the way for Jesus' return, right? And when he comes back and this whole dynamic of things, Matthew twenty-four, there's going to be sheep and goat nations, right? Now, I'm in the U.S. and, you know, maybe you're listening from a different country, but don't you want your nation your region, your state, your province. Don't you want to be a sheep nation, not a goat? I mean, this is important. This is weighty. This is meaty. Now we're talking about, you know, not just worrying about yourself getting by day to day, because there is a bigger picture. And the Lord needs people who are able to take that on and see further than just, you know, the Two feet in front of their face, okay? I hope you're following me. So it's the principle that you have to hear the truth. You have to be warned. You mean, think of Nineveh, right? Okay, they, you know, Jonah, he was hiding and all this stuff and didn't want to go. But the principle was that Nineveh could not repent until they were warned, all right? And someone had to do it. And of course God wants to heal and save America, or whatever a nation it is. But it takes more than just prayer. It takes people who are willing to speak the truth, prophets, because they're not going to know what the truth is if somebody doesn't stand up for it. And how are they going to know what's true if you don't know what's true, if you don't understand the Old Testament and the moral law? Do you see what I'm saying? This is a really serious and important topic now prophets as the role was in the old testament we know that it's not exactly the same but it's important to zero in on this for a minute because unless you really begin to look intentionally at the old testament you might miss the fact that the prophet's main job was not to prophesy in the old testament it wasn't it wasn't to foretell the future both immediate and future uh, immediate and distant which would be our future <laughs> There were actually three primary things that they did. Number one, yes, of course, they would prophesy. Uh, number two, they would reveal God's word. And this included contending with false prophets, you know, like famous Elijah did in that showdown that he did. But number three, primarily, they were foretellers. Now, what that means, that fancy word means, is they were preachers of righteousness. That's it. That's what that means over and over again they urged repentance revival the most central word in their teaching was turn i think i forgot to write this down but i believe it was like two-thirds if you really look at it two-thirds of what the prophets did in the old testament was in that category number three they preached righteousness they told people to turn turn now remember i was talking about ezekiel thirty three in the watchman and how we don't want the blood on our hands and if you look at that verse in there um, specifically verse eleven because remember he had been a watchman to the house of israel he was told to tell the words of the lord to them and to warn them verse eleven says Tell them this, Jesus, uh, Jesus. Uh, it was Jesus, but anyway, the Lord said, verse 11, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn and live, turn, turn from your evil ways. I'm still reading for why should you die? O house of Israel. In that one verse they were told, they were told to turn three times. So it was the prophet's job, the prophetic people's job to preach, turn, turn, turn. Not just turn from wickedness, but turn towards righteousness. Turn to what? Turn towards morality, towards moral standards. Do you get it? This is important that you catch this. Now, Zechariah 1.4, I like this verse because it's kind of like a summarization of what the prophets uh, were saying. Because, you know, it's the last book. We're getting down there. He's He's like summarizing. This is what it says. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets preached, saying... Thus says the Lord of hosts, turn now from your evil ways and your evil deeds. But they did not hear or heed me, says the Lord. Did you catch that? The former prophets preached saying, thus says the Lord, turn, turn. Okay? Now we all know Second Chronicles seven fourteen, right? Very important verse. Let's read it. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and do what? turn turn from their wicked ways then i will hear them from heaven i will forgive their land i will forgive their sin and heal their land wow sila amen once you begin to look at the old testament through a lens like that you will see that the prophets were telling the people to turn over and over again because israel would stumble They'd have to turn and revive again. and it, I mean, it's no different today, right? If you don't understand what you're turning from, you got to turn to, right? First it's from, then it's to. I hope I said that right. You got to turn from evil, but you got to turn to something as well. You got to know what you stand for and what truth is, okay? All right, and I'm just going to ask the Lord to, uh, right now, uh, you know, show the listeners, Father, how they can be a part of upholding righteousness, telling people to turn in the culture and in the society that they are in, in the nation that they are being, you know, you know, being salt and light in. Because we have to look at this last passage before we close. We cannot be salt and light if we don't understand what salt and light is it's not just a feel good couple of verses all right so let's go there go there but you have got to catch this this is important remember when we read from Matthew 5:17 to 20 and i told you this is a central verse to what we're talking about today and those that's the where the principle was where jesus said do not disregard the law and do not teach others to disregard the law okay remember what i said Matthew 7 5, or 5:17 to 20 well guess what the salt and light passage is Just in front of that. You have got to understand the context of this. Because it's the translators who put in these nice little subject divisions. In fact, there are no verses and chapters in the original manuscripts. Do you understand that? This is put there by translators. So this all ran together. Okay, are you seeing what I'm saying? Okay, so let's look at Matthew 5, 13. as we're going to read right up to 17. So 13 through 16 says this. And here we are up to 17, where Jesus said, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Do you see what I'm saying? This all flows together. If you do not understand that the Old Testament moral law is relevant to you, and its moral, its moral relevancy to the society that you are in today, you won't understand how to be salt and light, and we desperately need salt and light in the world today. And the Lord wants you, to wear whatever position you are in right now, to be that light that shines, to be that salt that savors. And I know that you are taking this seriously. I pray that the Lord right now will be enlightening your eyes. Like as as we wind down this show, Lord, let there be one thing that comes to their mind that they could do that they could actively participate in. I'm talking about a way that they can take this message and pass it on to someone else. Teach it to someone else. Do an outworking. Do something practical. Show them, Father, even just one thing in Jesus' name. And may we all work together that we might have sheep rather than goat nations wherever we live. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you all. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Preparing the Way, The Practical Prophetic. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your positive review helps the show reach more people with our message. And please visit our website at www.starfireministries.org, where you can donate, read our latest articles, and keep up to date with us on all of our social media sites thanks again and i'll see you next time